Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comment section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. A common image of victory that we see in the world around us is one of arms raised, extended with the excitement of overcoming. A cyclist rides across the, across the finish line, arms raised in victory. The runner pressing across the finish line, an arm or both arms go up in victory. Even the golfer, a a image of one sport that seems to be maybe more subdued, and yet a 15-foot putt goes in for the win, and an arm thrusts into the air, victory at last. It's a universal image when we think of victory, and in our message series in the book of Mark, it focuses on the life of Jesus as the servant. We come to this focal point of Jesus's life in this message where we come to the cross. We come to his servanthood in the kingdom of God. And in that position, we tend to think of the servant not with the arms raised up, but it's actually true. The servant of God, the posture of victory is also with arms raised, but instead of fists or hands raised up, they are more extended to the side and open as one who is completely surrendered. This is the image of victory for the servant of God. It is one who is in total surrender to the master's will for his or her life. Now, to some, that really doesn't sound like victory at all. It sounds more like complete defeat or total failure. But it's when we read the words of the master servant, Jesus, that we understand more how fully it means to be victorious in servanthood. John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18 says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So when somebody raises their arms in victory, that signifies the end. The race is over. Accomplishment. The victory is theirs. But what we're going to see this morning in, in this message is that when Jesus, the servant, extends his arms, this is not the end, but it is the end or a completion that is needed before a new beginning can take place before the ultimate victory can be realized. So as we come to the word, we're going to see how the surrender is so very difficult to give up our will, to give up our rights, to give up our very life, to take on what the master's will is and accept his purposes. But in this surrender, though it's difficult, it is the beginning of victory. It is the pathway to ultimate victory in the kingdom of God. So I invite, invite you to join with me in prayer as we prepare to look at Mark chapter 15 and the servant's victory. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Be our teacher. As we open the scriptures, guide our understanding, lead our hearts and our desires as we listen to you and what you want to say to us from the word today. We thank you that you are ever enlightening us to what you have to say. You're illuminating the scriptures. You're convicting of sin. 
your encouraging towards godliness and empowering us to live the life that we so desire to live for Jesus Christ. We surrender ourselves before you as we go to the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we join this particular passage, Mark chapter 15, Jesus has already been placed before Pilate. And Pilate is trying to decide what to do with Jesus because he sees nothing wrong with this one who others are accusing. And so Pilate is thinking of how he might be able to set Jesus free since the Jews are ready to shout, crucify him. So Mark 15, verses 6 through 39 says, Now at the feast he used to relieve, release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have them release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisted together a thorn, a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led, led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide which each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma, sabatani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it had said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, 
Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. We begin with this idea of victory in the kingdom of God with Jesus's crucifixion, his death. And it would seem odd that we would talk about victory with death, and yet that's exactly where the servant of God begins to surrender his life completely. Jesus had already modeled for us. He's shown us how you live for the Father, you become the servant of all. In fact, that's a core scripture within Mark. It's found in Mark chapter 10. Jesus says, whoever would be the greatest would be the least, would become the slave of all. And we've seen this exact thing with Jesus's life. And now at the cross, we see his complete surrender to the Father. He experiences first false accusations. The chief priests accuse him of many things, stirring up the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. In the midst of all of this, Jesus does not even defend himself. He recognizes who is his defender. His father is the one that will be by his side, the one who is to defend him. We see with the mock trial that goes on, Pilate brings him out and offers to release him. And the people cry out again, crucify him, crucify him. It's a real sense of perverted justice. The crowd demanded the release of Barabbas, a convicted murderer, instead of the innocent Jesus. Barabbas, one who stood for hatred, for violence, bitterness, revolution against the kingdoms around him. Choosing Barabbas was a way of the people saying, we choose the way of this world instead of the way of the kingdom. So they turn over Jesus to be crucified. And in the midst of this, Jesus does not utter words of bitterness, words of vengeance. We then see Jesus, verse 15, he experiences flogging. He's beaten with this whip, with pieces of pottery or metal on it, as it is strapped over his body over and over again. This type of punishment literally tore apart men's flesh. Many would pass out in the midst of this type of scourging. Some may not even survive it. It was a brutal expression of lashing out at the Savior, lashing out at this one servant who would lay down his life. Even in the midst of this, Jesus does not bring about retribution does not attack those who are attacking him. Jesus experiences the mockery of the soldiers, verses 16 through 20. He had just been flogged, and what did they do? They put the robe on him, a crown of thorns, and they mock him, bowing down, spitting at him, treating him as though he is a fool for living this life, as though he is the lowest of the low. And Jesus, in the midst of this, again, does not lash out in anger, does not retaliate against these Roman soldiers. But he continues his descent down to become the least of these, his servanthood expressing itself in his very actions of becoming the lowest of the low. 
And then finally we see him in his crucifixion. He refuses to deaden the pain as he hangs upon the cross. He resolves to taste death in all of its bitterness and all of the pain that comes upon him in the crucifixion. After being in Jerusalem and teaching and preaching and bringing along his disciples and preparing them for his death, he shares the Passover. He tells them what's going to happen. And now his disciples have begun to disperse. And now all that he faces is the mockery, the humiliation of the crowd that passes by one after another, testing him, trying him, telling him, get down off the cross. You who would destroy the temple, get down and save yourself. Oh, how Jesus could have called to his side thousands of angels to come to his defense. And yet in this moment, he doesn't try to prove anything. He doesn't state a defense for himself. He doesn't call the heavenly host down to his defense, but he receives the insults that are hurled upon him. And then finally in verse 34, here we see him alone. Jesus all alone. The Father can no longer look upon him as he carries the sin of the world upon himself. Jesus alone. Up to this moment, Jesus had experienced every type of pain, every type of hurt, rejection, physical pain. He experienced beating at this time from the Roman soldiers. He had experienced the rejection and lies being spoken about him. He had experienced everything except for one. He had never known the consequences of sin, separation from the Father. Had never touched his life until this moment where he hangs upon the cross and he takes the sin of the world where the Father can no longer look upon him as he hangs on the cross. And yet in the midst of this, he does not deny his father. He does not lash out, speak out in anger against the father. He surrenders himself. He breathes his last, crying out, Why have you forsaken me, father? The pain is unbearable upon his life, but he is committed as the servant of the master, committed to this complete emptying of himself. And this is it the breathing of his last breath. He calls out, it is finished. He dies not with a whimper or in silence, but with a voice of triumph, arms outstretched. It is finished. As the victor, the one who has overcome sin, the servant who has descended to the lowest point, crosses his finish line with his arms outstretched. It is finished. The work is completed. The victory is won. All the while, not as one demanding his rights, one complaining about how unfair and unjust life is. He never allows himself to fall into self-pity, never allows himself to wallow in discouragement and despair, all the while as he descends to this lowest point to become the servant of all submitting himself, as Philippians 2 says, to death, not just death, but the death of a criminal on a cross. He had finished all that his father had sent him to do by going to the cross. 
This is the picture of a servant in complete submission and surrender to the master's will. But this is not the complete victory. This is the victory over sin, his arms outstretched. It is finished, calling out. It is finished to reconcile us to the Father in relationship. But this is the pathway for forgiveness to take place. But in the end, there is another victory to be waiting for Jesus as he prepares for the resurrection. Jesus bloodied beyond recognition, his body placed in a borrowed tomb as his followers retreat into fear, confusion and tears overwhelming them. His body awaits the victory that he's already accomplished over sin. Mark chapter 16 gives us insight to this. We'll read verses 1 through 8 and then 15 through 20. This is the servant's victory. It says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, one another who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the point of the resurrection, but fast forward to verse 15, and Jesus has now appeared to the disciples, and he speaks these words to them. Verse 15 says, And he said to them, the disciples, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. This is the victory. This is the total victory of the servant. Yes, the crucifixion was our victory. He had claimed victory over sin and he had reconciled us to the Father. No longer would sin hold its grasp as Jesus descended to become the servant of all. But this, the resurrection, is the consummate victory. This is Jesus rising out of the tomb, overcoming not just sin, but death itself and the grave as he climbs out of the grave in victory and brings that to his disciples. The resurrection is the single most important aspect of the Christian faith. In fact, Paul tells us later on in one of his letters, he says, without the crucifixion, Without the resurrection, we are to be pitied more than anybody else on the earth. Because what that means is we're believing something that is not actually true. If Christ is not crucified, crucified and resurrected, 
then pity all of us. But he says he is resurrected. He is the risen Christ who has come up out of the grave and therefore we have a solid foundation in which we live. Listen, whatever difficulties you might be going through, whatever descent you might be taking as you serve the master, whatever hardships, whatever words are spoken against you, as you identify your life with Christ, the descent that you take to become the servant of all, hear me on this, trust this, there is a resurrection life that exists for you and for I when we trust Jesus Christ. The grave is not the end. The crucifixion is not the final word. It is the word that brings us reconciliation to the Father, but it is the resurrection that is the final word that says your life will not end in the descent, but you shall ascend as Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father and to the glory of Jesus Christ, that which seems to overwhelm you now is not the final word in your life. There is a victory for you as you resurrect in life with Jesus Christ. So in our service, in our dedication to Jesus, when we feel like it's failing, when we feel like we're not experiencing the resurrection life, don't give up. Follow the way of your master Jesus. Follow in his steps all the way, even when it seems like everything is being stripped from you because it is, know that it is not the end. It is not the final word, just as it wasn't the final word for Jesus. The resurrection also gives us our servanthood uh, commission and our calling. Remember Jesus's words as he teaches to them, he, he encourages them, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And then he tells them the power that they're going to have as they go out. And so this gives us our ability then to go and do the things that Jesus has called us to do. That we're not focused on the cares of this world and entangled in all that's happening, but we have a resurrection life that we can follow in his pathway of servanthood. And let me finish with this. This is one of the cornerstone pieces of this whole passage that we close with. It's verse 20. Speaking of the disciples, it says, And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. What an awesome word. What a great encouragement to you and I. This is not just for the disciple, the apostolic era. This is not just for then. This is for now, the confirmation. This is Jesus having ascended to the right hand of the Father. It says, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. No, he wasn't physically present. No, he wasn't doing the miracles himself. But it says he worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying the signs. And he has made that commitment to you and to me. He has made that commitment to his church. He would never leave us or forsake us. So the resurrection is the victory. When you stand today as a follower of Jesus, you stand with your arms outstretched. The victory is in surrender, emptying your life as Christ emptied his. And your victory is in the resurrection, that you too stand in the power of the Holy Spirit that you too will go to the grave in the flesh, but in the spirit and in the new life in Christ, you shall be resurrected and have an eternity with him with no more sorrow, no more pain, no more physical limitations. You have the victory in Christ. This is the servant's way. This is the servant's victory. We don't experience it all here on earth, 
it will all pass away, but in him we experience more than enough, exceedingly beyond what we could ever gather in this world so that we can have an eternity of abundance with him forever. As you go into your day, go with the authority of Christ, the blessing of Christ, as you go about doing the very thing he called his disciples to do, to serve everyone, bringing with it accompanying signs and wonders, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope for the world around you. Go in the grace of Christ, the authority of Christ. Go as a servant of Christ, and he goes with you. God bless you. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.